Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. edition of RZVT, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything between. I'm Ruben Spolter. But I say I'm the host. I guess I'm the host, producer, etc., etc. Uh, I'm here with Harabanit Malibrovsky. Hello, Harabanit Malibrovsky. Hello, how are you? I'm fine. How are you feeling? Baruch Hashem. I'm feeling self-confident, <laughs> full of energy yeah, and vigor. All of those things. <laughs> Absolutely. All of those okay. things. Okay. For our many hundreds of listeners, they're really, they're really, it's very important for them to be aware of this. Anyway, uh, Molly is a Jewish educator, teaches Tanakh, Mashev, Israel. She's a clinical social worker with private practice in Jewish Yon. And this year, she served as a field advisor for YU's Wurzweiler School of Social Work in Israel. Okay, How, how's that going? It's this great. Year, the, it's great. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Uh, we'll come back to your role as a social worker in Israel even today. Uh, we're here with Rav Johnny Solomon. Hello, Rav Johnny. Hello and good evening. Yeah, good. Now we're all I like that. That was like the dulcet tone. Because I was laughing because our listeners don't know of the conversation we had before. That's why I laughed about what you said about Mali. So I just want to <laughs> counterbalance it with something much more kind of reserved and serious. Rav Johnny is a virtual rabbi. Uh, it's worth contacting Rav Johnny just to sit and listen to him talk. I think, Johnny, every people call and spend time with you just to listen to you, give it like to listen, not to get for the advice. It hasn't happened no, yet? They, they don't. Um, but, but you'd be surprised. You. An independent Jewish education consultant, a teacher at uh, seminaries in Israel, and an editor at Mugazega Press. And he writes a daily thought on Talmud, on Dafyomi, on Facebook, and serves as a postic to his local shul in Evan Shmuel, which is relevant to our discussion. As I said, I'm Ruben Spalter. I direct the Rimonim Teacher Training Program at the Herzog College in Israel. I also serve as a Shorashim representative at Sohar, what that means is I help people establish Jewish status so they can get married here in Israel. And I'm the founder and director of Kita.org, which uh, provides online Jewish learning for children around the world. Oh, we all wear like a ton of hats, which is sort of what we're going to discuss today. Uh, our listeners, quick announcement. Next week, we celebrate our 100th episode. But, of Yay! course, yeah, I don't know how the sound effect. But, of course, haven't prepared anything. What? Got a sound effect afterwards, like a cheering. 
Our engineer will sort it out. Exactly. Our sound engineer will sort it out. Exactly. He didn't. He didn't do bad he last did. week. That he was, was okay. Nice. Uh, what do you mean I did? The sound engineer. Sound anyway, um, <laughs> um, so we've decided we're going to celebrate our hundredth episode, but we're not going to celebrate our hundredth episode next week. We're going to push off our hundredth episode for a little bit so we can do uh, a a live show with an audience with questions and answers. We haven't decided where. We haven't decided when. So if you have thoughts and ideas about where and when we should do Ruby our live show. We just decided this format live on air for us just now. This is no, we talked about we it. We didn't make a final commitment. This is something that's- We have decided that we're strongly considering yeah. doing a live show. And by show. the way, we're not, so, doesn't mean we're not going to have a, we're not going to record next week. It don't, it, we will. The next week will be 101st episode. Ain Mukdam Um RZ Weekly. <laughs> correct. We're just going to have our 100th episode in a few weeks or months or whatever. Anyway, so we'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, if you have questions. If you would participate even better, and if you'd like to sponsor and promote to the many, many thousands of RZ listeners around the world, please let us know because it's not free to run one of those things. So we're, we're looking to hear from you. Uh, you can find us on our Facebooks and uh, emails and all that. Okay, today we're going to talk about the perfect rabbi. And uh, I'm going to begin by sharing with you uh, a little ditty, a joke that I, I think is relatively famous. I don't know if you've heard this. I'll read it for you. And then I'll explain to you why it is that I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this up. It's the perfect rabbi. The results of a computerized survey indicate that the perfect rabbi preaches exactly 15 minutes. He condemns sin, sins, but never upsets anyone. He wears good clothes, buys good books, drives a good car, and gives about $50 a week to the poor. This is a long time ago. He is 28 years old and has preached 30 years. He has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends all of his time with senior citizens. The perfect rabbi smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 15 calls daily on congregation to congregation families, shut-ins, and the hospitalized, and is always in his office when needed. So I saw this, and I like, just went around this uh, little joke or whatever. I went around, a, like, you know, it's, it's very, very old, but it's, and it's obviously tongue-in-cheek. But I thought of this, uh, this perfect rabbi sort of joke because I came across an ad for a shul somewhere in the world searching for a rabbi and they posted on their website a job description. So in the job description, there's a candidate profile, there's educational requirements, there are personal characteristics, and all this is sort of reasonable, but then it's responsibilities. And there's not time to, to read all of these, but the responsibilities include spiritual leadership, okay? Ensure the continuity of daily minion, Support the continuation of Shabbos Hashkama minion and the monthly and holiday Sephardic minion. Okay, possess extensive knowledge about halacha, be a posik, provide pastoral care, guide congregants, act as a role model. Oh, and be a balkori and bountifila when needed. Then there's educational role, present shiurim, offer instruction on observance, demonstrate openness, membership development, community involvement, Administration, of course, the rabbi is in charge of programming and he's helping, called upon to assist with programming, fundraising, invested in the success of the shul, administrative staff, you know, and I thought to myself, also, reading by the this, way, personal I, qualities were also there, right? Um, like, like, like character was also, I think, part of the description, if I recall correctly. I'm just adding to this <laughs> idea that, like, basically they're describing this, like, ideal human. Right. I mean, it's interesting. I looked at it from a, an occupational kind mm -hmm. of perspective. And it's interesting that you looked at it from a from a personal perspective. You know, what other like and, and it may, all this makes sense. All this 
on the on on paper, yes, that is the rabbi that that this shul is looking for. But as I read it, I I just started to wonder, is this is this even a possible? Is it and secondly, is it reasonable in terms of the person that they're ultimately looking for? Like it's interesting. What you didn't see on there was what are the hours? How many hours a week do they expect the rabbi to work? And you know, because the answer is, Johnny? Well, it's a calling. They, you know, hours go out the window. There are no hours, right? They're, the hours are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Maybe they'll give him off on a Monday or a Tuesday if he asks for it. Okay, so it, it's, they're not asking. So it, it, Molly, if I were to give you a description of a job like that, which has personality aspects and job aspects, and it's supposed to be 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I didn't know it was a rabbi, but I just had a job listing for that. Like, what, what would your reaction be? What would you say to anybody who would, like, apply for such a job? <laughs> I'd say, oh, this is clearly an advertisement for a teacher in a seminary. That was <laughs> <laughs> but I think, we'll come back to yes, that. <laughs> but I think uh, Johnny said something very smart, which is he, he used the word calling, which I think is part of the issue here, which is that the assumption is that people who go into this type of work, it's because they have a calling, it's because they have a mission, it's because they want to do this. Um, and I think that's part of the problem because I think so. We'll my talk question about this more, is, but I think the issue yeah. here, the big word, is going to be boundaries, right? And and, and what you're oh, what you're so describing my question is, is lack of boundaries. Yeah. One, is this reasonable to expect? I mean, I I, I think that it. Well, well, I'll answer that. And two, two or well, two. One, is it reasonable to expect? I'm going to come to Johnny first. Is it reasonable to expect? Two, is it fair to ask? And the third question is. What are the ramifications of these kinds of expectations in the long term? Johnny, you can tackle any one of those you want or make up your own question. Um, you know, I think in life, it's good to have high expectations. Yeah. But I think that also needs to be counterbalanced by a reality check as to okay. what's possible. And maybe in the idealized list of things you'd have in a rabbi, all of these would be there. But ultimately, uh, there is still 24 hours in a day and, and seven days in a week. And my sense is that to fulfill all of these is likely to be beyond the capability of one individual person. And that really, in many synagogues, rabbis work in teams. They have rabbinical teams. But in certain size synagogues, where the numbers don't justify those salaries, they try and stretch uh, as much out of the single rabbi in Robertson as possible. And that oh, I'm sorry, we didn't even, I didn't even bring up the Robertson, which is right. implied in all of this and not even mentioned, but we, we come to that also. That's interesting. obviously that, fascinating. That whole question obviously is a very, very important one as well. Uh, and so um, if one takes seriously this list and really puts all those demands on that, uh, that rabbi, the likelihood of burnout is exceedingly high and disappointment also exceedingly high. Um, and so really it's those who craft these job descriptions who need to be a little bit more coherent about what are the absolutes, what are the negotiables, so that the rabbi knows the areas of flexibility on a tough week. And as we know over the past couple of years, uh, many teachers and certainly many religious leaders have had many tough weeks where you couldn't do all of those even if you tried. Okay, but I don't want to go into, and that's a topic we should discuss, and we've been talking about the COVID burnout and, and, and the issue of rabbinic burnout. That's obviously an issue. 
I want to, let's assume we're not in COVID. Everything is fine, Baruch Hashem, five years ago before COVID, right? Now, this is the job description for the, for, the, for the shul rabbi. The question I have is, is it reasonable? Is it fair? And will they, will they, find, will they find somebody? Will they find somebody? You know, that's a question of, of supply and demand. Is it reasonable and fair from what I understand of what you shared? I think that's, I think tall order is an understatement. Um, uh, and there's a presumption that somebody comes with all of those qualifications and, and can hold all those things together. My belief is that a community needs to be clear truly of what it wants and that the priorities need to be the community. And oftentimes, and, I, and I'm a kind of informal mentor coach to numerous rabbis around the world, uh, what I find is that they are, they're pulled between trying to have a, a great profile for the community and beyond the community and actually doing the important hard work of being there for congregants, especially with non-urgent things, you know, not just marriages and, and, uh, and, um, and deaths, God forbid, and births, of course. Um, and because they can't do all things at once, a lot of things get dropped and actually the community gets let down. So you have to have a very clear expectation of what's important because if you ask too much, as the Gemara says, we had in Dafyom just a couple of days ago, Tfasta Mubel Lotafasta. And I see that somewhat in the job description here. Molly. Okay, so I, I am coming at this a little bit from a, a different perspective, which is um, I, I, I'm thinking, like Johnny, which is just something very practical, which is like this is just not possible, it's not feasible, and you're going to end up with disappointment um, or, or not fulfilling expectations. I, I'm coming at it from per perspective of I want to protect the people who enter Jewish communal service. That, that, that's the feeling that, I, that, that I'm coming with to this question. And we're not going to discuss burnout um, because it's a whole different topic. But we know, we all know that there has been burnout among um, Jewish communal leaders in all, you know, er walks of life. Certainly communal rabbis, their rebbitzins, but I'm sure it extends to, to all types of, 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 of service. Um, and so I was listening, I mean, I listened to it a while ago, but I listened to it again today because we, we pre-talked about what our topic, um, an, an episode about burnout. And in the episode, I won't, I won't go into it, but in the episode, they talked about this thing called human giver syndrome. Now, it doesn't even matter what human given, giver syndrome is, right? The, the two people who wrote a book about burnout, so this is something they identified. But just the phrase so resonated with me, human giver syndrome, right? That there's a group of people um, that have this innate desire to give. And they believe that it's good and important and wonderful to give. And I think that particularly in the Jewish community, that's bolstered not just by the individual people who who feel that calling, they want to give, but because there's such an ethos of um, of giving and of communal service that it, it kind of the institutions kind of kind of, you know, whatever the word is they they emphasize that they legitimize that they validate that they tell it to their to their workers right whether that's a teacher or a rabbi or whatever it is they say 
as Johnny said, this is your calling. Of course you're going to be working 24-7. And you're not really in this for the money anyway, because obviously you're doing this because it's your shlichos and it's your tough kid, right? You know how many times I've heard that over and over and over, and I'm sure I didn't just hear that as a teacher. I'm sure I hear that all the time. You want it because you, mm. and I think phrasing it as, a, no, what you have is human giver syndrome, meaning you are a person who wants to give, and that's really wonderful. And in Judaism, we, we, we do emphasize service, and we do emphasize service to each other. However, I think that there's a flip side to, 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 um, to, to human giver syndrome. I think there's a danger, and that's what I want to talk about, that when I said I wanted to protect people, I think the danger is that you can take advantage of people and burn them out, right? That's obviously a danger for the human giver, and you can, you can kind of um, work on their natural tendencies to want to be giving, and therefore kind of take advantage of, of those impulses in ways that are, again, they might not be healthy. Maybe that maybe you're asking them to stretch themselves beyond what they can do financially. Maybe you're asking themselves to sacrifice hours that they need um, to, their, to, to be taking care of their families, right? There are a million ways in which, in which um, you may not be protecting the boundaries of the, of the giver, right? In this case, in the specific case, you're talking about of the rabbi. But my mm -hmm. thing that I thought about for years, and again, I'm coming back to being a teacher in a seminary, is I'm not convinced that that's actually a healthy model for the, for the receivers, quote unquote, right? In my very narrow case, it's for the students. If the students see people who don't hold boundaries, if the students see people who never, who, whose house is always mm -hmm. open um, and they never say, I'm sorry, um, I, this is family time, right? Once every X amount of Shabbatot is just family time. Um, or, you know, I'm sorry, I don't pick, take phone calls after midnight. You can WhatsApp me all night and it's fine. I'll get back to you as soon as I can, but I don't respond after midnight or maybe even 10 or whatever it is, right? I was just um, saying, you, you understand how ridiculous it is that you should be able to be available for students at midnight. Right. Okay, but so okay. I'm saying, but somebody has to be because, right? So you have to, so, so, so what I'm, so, so you have to think of clear boundaries. Wait, maybe that's part of the Madrichot's job and maybe that's then defined, right? And then they know, and as Johnny had said before, you spread things out over teams. I think that's a really good idea. But the point that I want to make is it's not healthy for the giver to not have boundaries and it's not healthy for the taker to have role models who don't have boundaries because a healthy life is a boundary life, right? That's, I believe that very, very strongly, right? I believe that we need to, I think we need to have concentric circles of who, who's important to us. I think it's a healthy message to say, I mean, you can tell me what you think about this. I personally feel very strongly about this. I feel like if we model that our family comes first, I think we're modeling something very healthy about families for our students and our communities. If we model that our time is precious, that we need to take care of ourselves, that we need to go on vacation, I think we're modeling healthy things for our students and for our and for our um, communities. Um, so, I, so this to me is a very, very important issue um, from the perspective of can we set realistic goals about what these jobs are? Can we define them very clearly uh, and, and think about what, is, what it is we actually want from this person and, and how mm -hmm. and the, the clearer we make the boundaries, the healthier it's going to be for everybody. So it's really interesting that, that term that you used of human giver syndrome. So I always, I, I, like, I don't have a term because, you know, but I always think, thought of it as sort of like a Mashiach syndrome that, rabbis or like you, you feel you have a like you said a tafkid to save klali sir and by the way how healthy with these... is that and again how healthy oh it's terrible it's right? the worst first of all it can lead to all kinds of charismatic boundary violations but also 
again, right? Um, If you feel like you're only fulfilled if you save the the world, like, like I know that with with uh, in therapists, right? When like a therapist has to learn how to say no, I'm full. And if they feel like, oh no, but if I don't take this case, you know, they they need me. That's not healthy. You are not the savior. You are not super person. There are other people who can help this person, right? And and kind of limiting that grandiosity that can come with, which starts from that good place of, I want to help, I want to help. But if you think you're the only one who can help, there's a little bit of a red or yellow uh, flag about your own kind of um, sense of self and role in the world. And I think that's a big, big issue for people who are in these types of fields. So it's it's interesting because the role itself, and I'm speaking like people who know me know, I was a show rabbi for 10 years. And the role itself, it it becomes, it doesn't become like, you know, I would say a calling, it becomes it defines you. It's not that it's not your job. I was a show rabbi, and it was incredibly, incredibly intimidating the idea that I was gonna leave that. And I don't I don't think it was because only because I what was I gonna work as, but it was more a question was, what am I gonna be? Who's going to need me? How am I going to find my fulfillment? I think there's a lot of ego going on here from the point of, from the perspective of the rabbi that it's incredibly fulfilling to be able to get up in front of 200 people on Shabbat morning and have them listen to you and have all the people that love you pat you on the back and say, oh, you're a great joke or whatever. There's a, there's a lot going, there's a lot of dynamics here. And the other thing I think is worth thinking about, Molly, is you talked about the idea of family. You know, it's it, in the job description, it's, it's implied that your family is part of the job, but nowhere does it say, well, what are your obligations towards your family? You know, what are your responsibilities towards your family? And how are you going to, you know, how are you going to find time for them? Like you said, make boundaries for them. It's interesting you say once, once every four weeks, you should have, not have, like we, when I think there's something we tried to do. Uh, I'm not going to speak for my children whether we did it well or not, but we would never have two meals with guests on, on a Shabbat. One we would we would say is for our family. You know, we do two sedarium. One was for the family, and one was for the, you know, we would invite people from the community, and nobody complained about it. You know what I'm saying? So you like no, nobody said anything, and like if people would ask to meet with me on Sunday, I would say I try to spend Sunday with my family unless somebody died. Let's meet on Monday, you know, and it was fine. You know, so I I don't know if I don't I, I get a kiss me for my children or whatever, but I think just implied in this in the job description. I think that communities, I, I feel this is why I wanted to talk about this. If you're like a member of a community, of course you don't want to burn your rabbi out, but but I think sometimes you don't see him as a person. You see it as a communal need. You want the show to succeed, and you, you know, and you want to you want to find the best person that you can. And 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 maybe you're not really thinking about it from the perspective of the person who's looking for the job and has the Mashiach syndrome and really doesn't really know what's best for them very often. Johnny. You know. I think, you know, both what you and Mali have said are so, so important. Um, you, this idea that I wrote it down, human giver syndrome, I, I don't think it's equivalent to necessarily a messiah syndrome, but certainly it can do harm to that person and to others. And I just want to focus here just on expectations. Now, imagine uh, this advert was posted and I'm a young rabbi wanting to apply for the job. And I want to do what the job says. And truth be told, I feel that if I fail to do it, uh, my job could be in jeopardy, right? Which is clearly the case in, in, in the dynamic between the rabbi and the board and the shul itself. So, so uh, Mali said people need to have boundaries. 
Now, if you're in a large community and there are present at Levi or a wedding, there may well be somebody else who is uh, capable of doing so. And it's understood that this second person, or third person for that matter, uh, can fulfill this role and does fulfill this role, and that's fine. However, where you have a synagogue where all seems to be placed on this rabbi's shoulders, there is a sentiment that this is the person, right? This is the individual who is there to represent everything. And if, for example, God forbid, somebody passes away or there's a simcha, and the rabbi has booked a little bit of time with the family, and we would all agree that it's totally right for them to have a break, and especially if that's been communicated to, the, to, to those who, with whom they work. Nevertheless, guilt can come into it. You know, you know, we like Rabbi Lewis, but he wasn't there for our son's wedding. He Johnny, Johnny, forget guilt. I want to tell you a story that happened to me. I was in my shul for, I think, two or three years or whatever you, and there was a series of years in a row where I would be afraid to be to schedule a vacation because every time my vacation started, somebody would die. Right. And so, uh, like literally, we were. I was in the driveway driving. My kids were in the back of the minivan and we're on our way out to I don't remember where. And I found out that someone's grandmother passed away. I don't even remember his grandmother. It could be their. I think it was a grandmother, but a member of the shul. And I didn't come back. I think I was already an hour away or whatever. And I didn't come back. And you like, it's interesting you said that everybody would understand that the rabbi needs to take a vacation. They did not understand the rabbi needed right. to take a vacation. Because and they were quite right upset. Why am I the one, right? You, you would have been there for them and you would have been there for them. And I'm not even blaming the, the, congregant, the congregant because the congregant feels, especially in during vulnerable life um, transitions, that's when they need their rabbi, right? It's like, I never asked you for anything, but now my grandmother died and you weren't here for me. That hurts. Right. Correct. Right. Right. So but this is a whole I'm issue. Just show, I'm just explaining why it's really complex. Right. Meaning, like, trust me, yeah, trust yeah. Me, just just for you to know, a number of you, you know, you, you were I've I've written about and spoken about. My Rav was uh, Dying Gershon Lopin, who was my Rav for 25 years. What I haven't said is that he wasn't there for my bar mitzvah. He was he was there for the party, but for the Shabbos he was away. For the party he spoke, he spoke beautifully. Did I resent it? No, because a person's allowed to be away from the family, somebody else from the neighborhood. No, no you don't resent it because they're just did, did, did he have clear boundaries? Like, did you understand that, Meiroj, that he took vacations, am, that he wasn't always there? Correct. Because that's, however, I think, what makes the difference. If the boundaries are set and the however, expectations are clear, then I think it makes a very big difference. Because that but I've seen many so times... I, I agree with you, except, of course, when it comes time and it happens, and you're on vacation with your wife, at some event and somebody's in the emergency room, they're going to call you. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm not sure. I think so, the clearer the boundaries are, the more you're right. And so it also depends how acute the emergency is, right? If somebody's in the emergency room, they might call you in, but they might start with, I'm so sorry to disturb your vacation. And it might be that you're able to say, I'm, I'm happy to give you an hour on the phone right now. And then I'm going to transfer this to, you know, Pastor X, who I know is in, you know, this particular hospital. I just right. say the clearer the boundaries are, Meiroj, I think the easier it is to to not have hurt feelings on one side and to not have overburdened um, caregivers on the other side. But my, the my point is we being don't really though, have but... those clear boundaries because, again, because in our communities, we have this belief that the rabbi should be available. The teacher should be available. That's like, they, like that's chesed and that's giving. And, and we have and we have begun to begun to talk about whether they're paid a living wage. Right. Right. So, but my, my point, though, is the people who need to communicate that isn't just the rabbi, it's the board. Mm -hmm. The board needs to say when they hire this person, this person's hired, 
and we wish them well and they have a long list of things to do and there'll be times they're not available and that's part of the deal and that's not just with our agreement which with our blessing and when they're not here you know mr x or mrs x will be doing that and and i've i've been a member of a community where that's happened and they say the rabbi's away and uh, please redirect calls to this it's not the employee's job to arrange their own understudy. It's the employer's job to understand that the employee needs boundaries and that there should be other arrangements such that the guilt of absence isn't eternally directed to this person because, as you say, there will always be somebody who's sick or somebody who dies or somebody has a simcha when the person is away or unavailable. And you need to be fair about how many places one person can be. Right. And what I think is quite interesting is that I think that there's a lot of understanding about the need for boundaries in a lot of places, but when it comes to, again, what you want to call this shlichus of chinuch and of and of rabbanos and of hadracha, that's where people, including the people involved, have a very hard time. They really, they really believe ideologically that that like boundaries is a bad word, and that like it goes against the idea of shlichus. And I think that's something that that, that both that everybody needs to be educated towards. Okay, I want to I want to come back to we'll, we'll stop. We're going to come back and talk to talk about. We'll take a break here and come back and sort of further com- conversation and sort of try to think about it from the organization's point of view. Let's stop here. We'll stay with us. We'll be right back. This episode of RZ Weekly is brought to you by Kita for Home Plus. We all know families whose children are not studying in formal Jewish education for any number of reasons. Could be COVID, could be the school wasn't right for them, could be financial, but they still are looking for a meaningful Jewish learning solution for their children. That's why we created Kitaf for Home Plus. Kitaf for Home Plus is modeled after the world famous Khan Academy using flipped learning, YouTube videos, and Google Forms to allow children to learn classic Judaic subjects, Mishnah, Chumash, and Gemara on their own time, on their own schedule, in a way that's exciting and meaningful for them to learn. We're starting a new semester of Kitab for Home called Kitab for Home Plus, in which children will learn three courses, Mishnah, Chumash, and Gemara, each week, plus have a Zoom lesson to meet with the teacher, that would be me, as well as interact with other students in the class. Kitab for Home lessons are designed for students in middle school from grades five through grades eight and focus on basic skills, decoding of text, understanding of shorashim, critical skills that children need that serve as a foundation for Jewish learning throughout their lives. To learn more, log on to kita.org slash home plus. That's kita, K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G slash home plus. And now back to the show. Okay, Molly, we're back. And Johnny, of course. I, I, like I said, I want to sort of reframe it from the organization's point of view. And like, I, now, if you take off our, you know, we're all clergy or no clergy or teachers and educators. I, I think it's a little more complicated than that. Let, let's say you're a mid-sized shul. Okay? Now, it's, what's really fascinating, the, the thing the mid-sized shul cares most about, like the board cares most about is, are we able to turn the lights on and make sure that this institution is able to continue and function as it, as it needs to do that. And the way you need to do that is to have members and have people who are happy about the organization and contributing and, 
and, uh, and, and want to participate and want to come to shul. And in many shuls, in many communities, many small communities, that's completely and totally dependent upon the persona and the work of the, ra of the rabbi. You know, every now and then you'll have a shul that has a built-in membership, but in most communities, that's just not the case. Meaning because there are too many shuls and there's competition and there's not enough, and there's too many, you know, people have, have choice now and there's shtibos and there's backyard minyanim. So th this is, this, the, the board wants to find the ultimate, the rabbi who will get people to come to shul and become members and contribute. That, that's, that's number one. The same thing is true of seminaries. Uh, seminaries, I, I mean, I'm not talking about the cash cow seminaries that are like literally have like hundreds of, you know, you, I don't have to tell you, there's tremendous financial pressure. There's tremendous pressure to have the kids be happy this year so that we report to next year's kids. And, like, and giving boundaries and setting boundaries for these kids is going to turn them off. And that's why there's a fear of saying no. And there is budgetary constraints and you're trying to run a seminary. So of course you're going to take as much as you can from every teacher and pay them at least you can. I mean, it doesn't make it right, but it's, it's human nature. So how would you respond? You're the seminary teacher now, right? How would you respond? You're trying to look out for the, bound, the, the best interest of the seminary teacher. But the head of the seminary is saying, this is what I need in order to make sure I've got a crop of students next year. That was for you, Molly. Oh, that was for me? Oh, I was waiting for Johnny to answer. Um, I, I think that's a great question. And I think the answer is really, uh, um, <laughs> I'll use a fancy social work term, but it's not really that fancy, which is psychoeducation, right? Which means to educate people, not just about, you know, psychological processes. And I think that 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 the teachers need, because again, you've got these, you know, young, um, dedicated teachers who they just want to give and it's so easy for them to fall into this culture and it's a culture there's a culture that's built you're 100 percent right and it's and and it, it can be passed on by the the directors of the seminary it can just it can be by it can be contagious wait, wait, i'm asking you but I'm, you yeah. have to react to the reality is the reality i described accurate a or inaccurate Meaning I, I, in my humble opinion it's very accurate yes so then there's just pressure. Then there's it's a reality. Of and you, of then the show, a lot of pressure. And you see what this the show one say? The having show says, students I over 16 times a week. And I only had my students over one time a week. And, there, and also there's some, I don't know if in all seminaries, but the, again, people are human. They want to have successful classes. They want to have good relationships with, with, with their students. There's so many dynamics going under, which is why what I'm starting to feel is like this needs to be put on the table. And this the, this needs to be... And again, I would like to hear Johnny's thoughts because he's usually faster at formulating things intelligently. Johnny's both a rabbi um, and teaches in the seminary. But I would like, so maybe, maybe it's really about bringing in people um, um, to maybe I would, you know, offer this as a service to, to lecture about healthy boundaries and how that's to the benefit of the teacher of the seminary and of the student because right now nobody believes that right now everybody believes that no boundaries is to the benefit of the teacher the seminary and the student and maybe if we started off by a sea change and by the way i don't want to every seminary is different and some seminaries are more sensitive to this and some of the seminaries are less and i have to say to the credit of certain seminaries um they became aware of this and they started like Again, boundaries, instead of being like, of course you're all coming on a Shabbaton because it's, and it, you, what, don't you want to come on a Shabbaton? They're like, oh, no, you don't want to come on a Shabbaton. And so oh, I shouldn't like reveal seminary secrets out loud, but um, every, every person's <laughs> going to like commit to a certain amount and maybe there'll be a certain amount of remuneration, right? Like certain seminaries did become aware of the importance of clarifying the role, boundarying the role, um, 
compensating for these things. And that's like a, a, a mind shift in what are my expectations for my teachers? So how do we how do we create that that cultural shift in what are the expectations of the seminary? Again, does it come from the teachers who say like, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm not willing to do. But then there's pressure because what if there are other teachers who are willing to do more? Does it come, is it the responsibility of the administrators, right? That's kind of like the board who says, you know what, we're going to run a better seminary um, and we're, we are going to be more careful. Um, should it come from parents who are saying- Yeah, but Molly, in the in? end, that doesn't necessarily translate to the bottom line, which is what they have to worry right, about. which is what I'm doing is I don't care. It really care. doesn't, meaning Build your boundaries. I know you don't care. I know you don't care, but your boundaries are very good, but- you know, like the girl's going to call, she's going to call her friend okay. in 12th grade and say, you know, I tried to call my teacher. She's ever around. Okay. I, so I also think like, it's you know, not whatever. an all or nothing. It's not a zero sum game. I think there really are also different models, different teachers, different stages of life, different positions in a seminary, right? You can have a whole tier from Madricha to Rakeza to Assistenti to um, teach somebody who teaches one class, somebody who's a Mechanechet, somebody who's a Rav, somebody who's a Rav Rosh Midrash, somebody who's an administrator, right? There are, you could really create multi-layered um, positions and you can really clarify, Madrichot, what each person's role and job is and what, See, it, and, and it could be, by the way, again, to be fair, maybe when somebody has, there are people who like having company. There are people who that, that kind of strengthens their, their Shabbos experience. There are people who, who, meaning if, if the, if, if the way that you do this is collaborative and you say, as long as everybody's needs are, needs are met, right? And we, we, we kind of are clear about what we need and we, we, we work clearly on who can give what and we, we make sure that all the needs are covered with respect to our teachers and with respect to, you know, and with, and, and with really trying to meet the needs of our students and not erring on the side of like, well, all, it's just all about the girls because whatever they want. It's also about our teachers and, and respecting our faculty. I think you can build, and I think there are seminaries who do build um, a good program. And again, my argument is that's healthier for the students as well. It's not just healthier for the teachers. It's healthier for the students. And again, to go back to the Rev, same thing. Johnny, go back to my question. You're the seminary head. You're the board of the shul. You really care about the bottom line. You want the institution to succeed. Okay, well, this is what has to happen. This is the expectations of the members. We want to keep them happy. Yes, the, the Schwartzes are very, very important members. And they don't care that the rabbi went on vacation. And they're big donors and they dedicated the Aaron Kodesh. And I'm sorry, what, what are you going to do? Boundaries don't really work in that case. What would you say to that? So I think what I would say, I mean, I've, I've worked in different schools, some private, some state in the UK, and obviously different midrashot and other institutions here. You know, some, when I worked in a private school in the UK full time as a head of department, basically I worked 24-7, and, and any time anything was wanted of a donor, you're there. You're there five minutes early, in fact, because, you know, everything depends on your presence. And, and it's, it's a business that's not the business I was in. I was in a world of education, but you nevertheless recognize him, en kemach en Torah, and you need to provide. So there are people whose job it is to be there all the time, and it comes with the paycheck, and I don't mean that to be crass. I'm saying simply, if that's your your position, that should be clear, that should way, be communicated. By the way, sorry to interrupt, but like when you just said that, I was like, you know what, there are lawyers who do that too. Like, if again, if the expectations are clear and you know what you're signing up for, 100%. it's no less legitimate in Jewish education than it is in the high-tech world. However, what Mali is alluding to, I, or not exclusively, but partially is, and she's speaking about the, the world of Midrashot, of which I teach now and I've been doing so for quite some years, is 
In the majority of the institutions, actually only a handful of people work full-time, and the majority of people work part-time. And yet your availability, notwithstanding your part-time teaching, is presumed to be full-time in some measure or another. And by the way, I have mm. to make it very clear, the places where I work uh, are wonderful and they have fantastic boundaries. So nothing I'm saying right now is in any which way a reflection of the place where I work now, which I'm uh, very grateful. Nevertheless, by e how, even if one doesn't work there all the hours one expects, and even if that job description doesn't come with that perpetual availability, it is understood that you should be, make yourself available far more than the hours you necessarily give. There is both a Tosh Bichtav where that's written in part, and there's also Tosh Balper where it's very much unwritten and you figure Wait, it's out. actually written down? We expect you to give more, like we expect you to be available at all hours even though you're not, only a certain not amount Not at of all hours, on the contrary. Often they make it very clear where the hour should end. But nevertheless, if a student calls at 9 p.m. Uh, and you're available, one would be expected to be able to respond to that query. Uh, you know, all things being equal, I mean that. And, and, but uh, what I want to then add is, in the world of, we have to be clear, what is a midrashah? Is it a school? No, it's also a home. Don't forget, you know, young women in the midrashah, yeshiva with young men, they're living there. Your job isn't just to be a teacher, it's also to be a quasi, and here I, I've been very, I want to be careful with my language, a quasi kind of spiritual parent in some measure, obviously with incredibly clear boundaries. Those of you, both of you who know me, know that this is something I'm very, very particular about. Still, you're working in a home where kids live as well as a school where they study and therefore hours operate differently still there is one further thing to add when you work in a place like that you're not just serving the current students you're also available for alumni so i've been now teaching in, in midrashot for it's now my ninth year i i help my current students but i also get calls from those the year before and the year before that and the year before that all of whom want to come for shabbos and whatever whatever and it's understood that you should want to be make yourself available, and you do want to. But here, too, the importance of boundaries are essential. And so I, I'm simply agreeing with what Marty's saying, where there needs to be transparency about the role. Institutions need to be coherent as to what is expected of particular tasks. It's reasonable for somebody working full-time to work full-time, but it's not reasonable uh, elsewhere. And there also needs to be an understanding that there is a snowball effect when you work in a place for a while, you're not just tending to the needs of those present, but also those who were, who still have ties to the place you now work, for which, by the way, even were there to be remuneration for visiting guests, that's for the current students, it's not for the past ones. And, uh, and so that's why I began with the word calling, because if you go into this world, you need to know that e even if you're paid satisfactorily and even nicely, still the hours don't you know, calculate with necessarily the income. I just want to add one more thing, which which I would encourage people to consider, which is what, what are the costs to, to the members of the family? I mean, you might have human giver syndrome, but the question is, how does that affect, even if your, your spouse is very happy to do it, like very often your kids didn't volunteer for it in any way, shape or form. And that at a certain point, they're tired of having strangers come to their house you know, traipse through their house or having not having their parents available for meals or never having them available on a weekend or always, you know, it's it's something that's very hard to consider because the community has expectations, there's there's availability. And, you know, I always think back to like Moshe Rabbeinu and what happened to his children, you know, as the as the classic example, 
And we, we think that we're saving ourselves, we think we're saving the world, but at the same time, we're often abandoning those that are that are closest to us without even realizing. I want to just add one thing just um, from the perspective of the students, because I think if we, because I've had some conversations with students about things like this, about going for Shabbat and, and you know, expectations and, you know, they're also coming from a very vulnerable place, the students. They don't want to be taking advantage of their teachers. They don't want to feel like they're a burden. Um, and, and, and in many places, they, they actually are, they need a place to go for Shabbos, right? Meaning it's, it, they, 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 they actually need, obviously, the support, as, as Johnny mentioned before. They, they need the support. They're here for the year. They need the support. They're, they really are here alone um, on, on their own. And that's where I, that's why I really think trans, transparency and clarity are, are really like the, the name of the game, which is that if it's clear to the students, I'd love to have you. Um, and, uh, and, and at the same time, I'm having, meaning, I remember I, 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 somebody once gave this rule of thumb to me and I thought it was really smart. They said, if you're going to do something, like any type of a giving mitzvah, and you're not actually doing it with your whole heart, you're not going to be happy and neither is the person getting it. It's going to bleed through. And so knowing also what you can do and what you can give, um, is it, it you you again then if if you have boundaries and you say no sometimes when you say yes you're really saying yes and your students will feel that and they'll appreciate that and so that's again why I think you need a system where there are enough people saying yes enough of the time but there's enough space for the people to also have their breaks when they need it as well because again I think we have to have, we have to care about our students as well have empathy for their needs that's also has to be part of this conversation and for the communities right this is not a versus b this is we want to make we want to make this successful for everybody because everybody really wants to have a positive experience with each other i totally agree with you except very often the person who's giving doesn't understand right. that they're caught in this vortex right. and that's, that's what needs uh, that's, that's where the education say. needs to come in well, johnny wrap it up you know, I, I want to go back to the um, rabbinical position. You know, there's a phrase in English. I did a travel over to the States, a jack of all trades, a master of none. Have you, you know that phrase? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so um, a person can try and be outstanding at everything, and, and in, oftentimes that doesn't quite work out. Uh, um, if I could direct some words right now, it wouldn't be to Rabbonim, who are training to be rabbis, who are who work in the field. I wish you success, and I and I and I thank you for your service. It's actually to boards who put together these kind of job descriptions, which is to expect everything is to set everybody up for disappointment, and figure out what are the non-negotiables, and be very very clear about that. Just for you to know, I, I mentioned before my role of Dianlopin. He didn't lane. I mean, he could lane, but he didn't lane because there are people who are much much better than him at doing so. He was a Paisak. He gave shiurim. He gave sermons, which were nice. But he was there for people, meaning he had a strong, strong skill set about being there for people and about psika and giving shirim and everything else. He was there absolutely, but also where appropriate, there was a chazan, not him. There was a balkara, not him. Uh, he was an administrator, uh, not in the, in the classical sense of the word. And you know what? He was a fantastic rav in the things he did. Were he to have been burdened with the things that weren't according to his skill set? so many people would have lost out. And I think that applies to many other very, very special men and women in positions of leadership. Figure out what's in the position. Try and find somebody for that. Have others to be a support system. Rabbi Sachs talked about this in leadership, where he emphasized to be a great leader is to know what you can't do as well. 
here to ask a leader to be everything I think is again to, to lead to disappointment frustration and stress on both ends and it's not a good recipe for a community for whom each should be wanting to be there for each other and of course being there for the community for however long that leader is there for them okay I think we'll stop here I think we, 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 we've uh, digested the topic there's there's more to say but it's you know, I, I think so there, there are other sides to the discussion. It's a complicated issue. It's a challenging issue of trying to balance different kinds of needs. And we'd love to hear your, your thoughts on these issues. If you have feedback for us, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And uh, also, we were talking before, we'd love to hear your feedback about topics that you'd love us to discuss and things you'd love us to raise as well. Uh, I want to thank Rabbi Malibrevsky and Rabbi Johnny Solomon for the discussion. I want to thank my son Petachia for our music. If this is your first time here, welcome. Uh, if you're listening on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, I think it's called, or iTunes or whatever you have, please leave us a rating that helps other people learn about us. And please also share the podcast with your friends and family because that's how we grow. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs>